On this Sega Talk, we have a frickin' heart attack playing Illbleed. Why is this Dreamcast exclusive such a cult classic? Did I just see a Toy Story parody? And why didn't the developer Crazy Games make Crazy Taxi? All this and more on Ah! Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master here. So what's Hello and welcome to episode 88, crazy 88 of Sega Talk. I'm Barry. With me is George. Hello, everyone. Ooh, you scared me. Sorry. Uh, and on this episode, we are talking Illbleed. Is it October? No, it's actually no. Uh, January. <laughs> <laughs> Good placement. Um, but they're actually, w- w- at, at the end of this, there is a, actually, I found a connection to, maybe not today's date, but we're pretty close to a uh, milestone with this game. Um before we get into it, though, George, uh, why don't you just tell the fine folks at home about our Patreon? So, basically, uh, what the way you can support Sega Talk is going to www.patreon.com slash SegaBits. There, you could get the episodes early. You could even pick what we talk about. So, if there's a game in our 88 episodes that we haven't covered and you want us to cover it, you could force us to do it with a $10 pledge. It helps the show go keep going. We read your memories in the beginning of the episode. And you get to have us talk about a game we probably don't like. I mean, let's be honest here. I mean, I find it more interesting talking about games I don't like or never played than I do the games I mm. love sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Yeah. I know what you mean. I mean, um, last episode we covered Gun Valkyrie. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's an obscure little classic that is i guess a hidden gem some people love it some people don't but that was just a blast talking about and i bring it up just because and i posted this on our twitter i picked up the soundtrack cd after we had our little discussion and it came with the case um it came it, it said in good condition this is like near mint yeah I so it. i'm looking forward to popping this in listening to it maybe the good is the fact that the cd itself doesn't play uh, we'll see. How much did you but, pay for um, it? Uh, $8. Worth it. Not bad. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, this episode, you know, there's actually a little uh, similarity between Gun Valkyrie and Illbleed. Both are uh, their respective consoles exclusives. Both are cult classics. Um, though I don't, I think the price difference is, <laughs> is pretty big. You can get Gun Valkyrie for nine ninety nine, and um, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna save this till the end. Illbleed right now is going for north of four hundred dollars. That's it? No, I'm joking. Yeah, that's for, a lot because that game was that like, is, yeah, that game was one of those discount games you would watch. See, like at Circus City, yes, when Circus City was yeah, still absolutely. Around. My copy here has a 999 sticker on it. I got this um when I went to New York uh video game video games New York um probably a little over 10 years ago, but it's just it's insane to see the price jump on this. Mm. Why is that? Well, I mean, Illbleed itself, it's an obscure little oddity. It was made by a developer called Crazy Games 
And as I mentioned, exclusive to the Dreamcast, it's a survival horror, horror game with comedic elements. And the game was actually self-published in Japan on March 29, 2001, while America got the game very soon after on April 16th. So day after tax day, you know, you get to pick up your game on the Dreamcast. And the publisher A1A uh, published it. Illbleed is a quintessential cult classic with a small but devoted fan base who look past its financial failure of a release and glaring issues to find, well, I guess we'll figure out what they found. Um, so let's let's just cut to the chase. Let's come clean. Did you play Illblade on release, and what are your honest thoughts on this game? This is probably the last horror game on the Dreamcast I never played. I still haven't played it. My Dreamcast is down right now. I was thinking about going to mm. play it on an emulator for the show, but I was like... You know how the sound is on those things. I just want to play it on hardware. So hopefully I get mm. my uh, HDMI core thing installed on my Dreamcast. But this is probably going to be one of the ones I play off of the, obviously, a CD-ROM or whatever. Because I, I can't afford $400 for this game. Sorry. I don't own it. But I do own their previous game and did play their previous game pretty close to release, uh, Blue Stinger. Did they make this one? Or mm-hmm. is it? Okay. Because it gave me the same vibe. I didn't even look it up. I was like, same developer. Um it's like an anime horror game. That's kind of what the other one was. And um, I, I, you know what? I, this studio is weird because like it, it combined like '80s anime with like bright red hair and like really real anime, but with like horror aesthetics that were really gory. Um, yes. So it was always this weird blend of both of these. Like when you played Resident Evil, they were realistic humans, right? Like right. And this one isn't. So that always kind of threw me off at first. I did kind of like Blue Stinger, but like you said, it's not like a top-tier horror game. Like, when you play Code Veronica and then you play Blue Stinger, you definitely mm-hmm. see the difference. But it has right. its charm, for sure. What uh, Did you play it on release date? Um, I, I played it very shortly thereafter. It was a rental. Mm-hmm. Um, I always have these games where it's like, uh, I rented it for a weekend. I thought it was okay. It's all based on what Dreamcast Magazine wrote. I'm like, oh... Uh, Illbleed, it's got like Sonic parodies in it and Toy Story parodies, and uh, it looks pretty quirky. You know what? I'll rent it. If I like it, I'll buy it. And I, that's kind of how I operated. And typically, I'd even rent it, and then I'd eventually buy the copy I actually rented when it hit the uh, like for sale used bin. Like, that's how a lot of those rental places operated. Um, I didn't really like it. I, I got stuck on it. I thought it was a little to the learning curve was a little was a little difficult um and i just didn't really like it and i never picked it up and then years later it was it made the short list and i wish i had my wallet with me but there's this it looks ancient because it is it's probably a a 15 year old piece of paper i still have my wallet of dreamcast games and other sega games i should pick up if i'm at a used game shop and this was on there forever, and I got this and Floygan Brothers, $10. Each game was $10 each. Um, and I'm so glad I did because, you know, there's other games I rented uh, back in the day, didn't buy and regret, like Cannon Spike mm. and Rival Schools. Easy. And uh, I, I think those were the two big ones because those ones have shot up in price now. Um, All Capcom stuff is pretty sought after on Dreamcast. Yeah, and... And I will say, like, I'm not that type of person who's like, man, I wish I picked it up because, you know, I'd really like to, uh, 
you know, have a bunch of rare, expensive games in my collection. It's more just like I lost that price of entry. Like, I would love to pick those games up cheap just to have them on the shelf, um, especially for shows like this, because if we do Cannon Spike, I have to go burn a copy. Or, you know, it's yeah, yeah. it's an extra headache. Um, but, yeah, it, I, I still I haven't played it that much. I did play it a bit over the weekend in prep for this. I didn't make it too far, but I now understand how to play the game. And um, what did I think of it? Well, we'll get to that when we get to the gameplay. But as for the story, um, it has a very goofy setup. And I figured instead of copy-pasting or putting images in the notes, I would read from the manual itself. And this is a... For a $400 game, I'm assuming this is a $100 manual I'm holding. Rip open the pages. Um, Like, rip the page open. It's nice. It's It's mint. Wow. Um, But look, it's a colored... Color print inside, very nice. They don't do manuals. You don't see this too often. Uh-uh. I don't even think Sonic Adventure was in color. Um, you know, a lot of those first-party games. Do you still have that list of the Dreamcast in your wallet? The Dreamcast games? I do. Can you imagine yeah, I'll, if you get lost? I'll post it to Twitter. Or you're yeah. like, body, like, God forbid your body's like somewhere, and then they like grab your wallet, and they're <laughs> like, what? And it's just a bunch of Dreamcast games? They're like... Uh, no number, nothing. Just the Dreamcast list. <laughs> no ID. They'd find me instantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sega yeah, yeah. Talk. Call. Um, call George. <laughs> I'll put a note in there now. Um, so as far as Illbleed, uh, Illbleed is a theme park developed by Michael Reynolds. He is the most famous as a horror movie producer, and many of his movies were prohibited from theaters as they were too gruesome. If you come out alive. All of the stages, we will welcome you with a maximum prize of $100 million. What you will experience immediately after taking one step into the park is a series of ruthless, shocking events. These horrors will make your heart jump out of your chest. The people who tried up to this day have all failed and died. (laughs) Once you enter this world, you cannot get out until you clear all stages, even if you are on the brink of death. The end is successfully escaping. Failure will bring death be brave enough to try without feeling fear about dying in the end you will be rewarded with an amount that will surely make you dizzy and then michael reynolds has something to say to us he says hello ladies and gentlemen i am michael reynolds at last ill bleed a horribly shocking theme park is waiting for you i invested five billion five hundred million dollars into my life's work feeling like trying it All right, then. I'm prepared for you at any time. It is part of me. No one has ever returned alive from all of the attractions. I am annoyed. I need someone to succeed in clearing out all the stages soon. The more people who fail, the more money I make. Do you want me to even be richer? You make me laugh. (laughs) Want to try it for yourself? I'm ready for you. Scared? I know. See you in Illbleed. And there's like a mysterious photo of him you know you can't see his face too bad the entry fee is too high for most people four hundred dollars for this (laughs) so i mean as far as that setup we haven't gotten to the the story yet yet. to me it kind of sounds like um uh uh, i was gonna say snail maze um um, (laughs) yeah the the popular netflix show what is that called Squid Game. Doesn't it kind of sound like Squid Game? Yeah, I mean, yeah, but this premise of, like, Squid Games has been in other things, right? Like uh, Battle Royale or whatever, the Japanese anime. Cube. Yeah. So it's a yeah. popular little setup. I think the the way Squid Games did it is they, like, 
always made you wonder what was next. And they, they played up the mystery good enough that they kept you for eight episodes. So, I you know, but yeah, the premise is pretty not unique, you know. It's just gripping. It's, it's yeah, so it's this uh, failed film producer who put all of his movies into a theme park. And they're worlds that you enter. And if you survive them and you survive all of them, then you leave the park with $100 million. And um, so... Sounds intriguing. So who are you playing as? So uh, the afternoon following a school speech by the game's protagonist, Erica, about, oh, Erica, I'm sorry, about her unhappy childhood and hope for the future, her and her friends receive a mysterious ticket to a new horror theme park named Illbleed. While her friends goad her to join him, join them, she initially refuses due to previous trauma with similar parks, but after her friends fail to return from their trip, she musters the courage to enter the park and rescue her lost friends. And um, we're, we're not going to watch it, but the opening cutscene, it's its like six minutes long. But I love when you get to the end, you arrive at the park, and there's this like axe-wielding murderer doing the ticket station. He talks like that, but it's all subtitled. Okay. So it's like... Hello, I'd like to buy a ticket. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, that's not a good sign when you're going. I mean, I don't know. I I don't have anything to say about that. That's, uh, yeah. I think it might have aged a little bit badly now, having a character like that. Do you think? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Cancel me. Cancel me. Um, but, uh, yeah, so do you think Illbleed, though, has enough of a unique premise to stand out from other horror games of the era? And I'm just going to name a few off right now. Some of them are on the Dreamcast itself. Uh, there is Alone in the Dark, New Nightmare, Evil Dead, Hail to the King, Fatal Frame, Project Zero. And, of course, there's always going to be a uh, Resident Evil. So what are your thoughts on Illbleed compared to those games? I mean, I, I did play uh, Evil Dead and Hail to the King. And I really, really wanted to like it. Is, is is that the Resident Evil one where you're like have to find the squirrels or whatever? Uh, Evil Dead. Well, that's the one based on the Bruce Campbell movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, I would say Ill Billy has that a better like comedic. Like it's obviously not taking itself too seriously. It's a theme park. You go in and then you have to survive it. It's a game show. It, it's mm. totally different. I don't know. Is there? I haven't played any re- like. I haven't played any horror game on the Dreamcast that was like that. I would say there is a horror game like they came out recently, and I think I read an article that they were actually influenced by this. So it's called uh, hmm. what's it called? I have it on my Steam library. I just have to, but it's a it's a newer game. I forgot what it's called though. It's like uh, you're also in the theme park. Yeah, I would I would agree. I I think that uh, Illbleed as a concept is a bit ahead of its time because it seems very self-aware. It kind of reminds me of Five Nights at Freddy's, you know, where it's like, it's a spoof, it's a parody, you know what you're getting into. Um, and the whole point of the game is to kind of shock you and scare you with little little things. It's almost like a little fun house. Um, the difference is that you die. And, um, you know, theme parks, you're not supposed to go to a theme park and get scared and die. Just like how you're not supposed to go to Chuck E. Cheese and, like, the mascots attack you. So, with that in mind, I, I think Five Nights at Freddy's is probably a, a pretty good comparison to this. Just in terms of, like, 
the the type of humor, the setting, the characters kind of knowing what they're getting into. Whereas uh, some of those other games, it's like I'm just a family moving to the countryside. Oh, there's ghosts! Like I don't, I didn't want to be here. <laughs> yeah, this is very clearly like you know what you're getting into, and you know what the threat is um, going into it. Now, uh, let's talk about the characters. Because I was really, this is a, so, all right, I'm going to rewind here. So at the very beginning of the show, you said sometimes we get uh, picks that we kind of don't want to do or games we're not really interested in. I have never had a, a show, a Sega Talk episode where the pick is made, I look at it, I don't like it, I hate making the notes, and I hate making the show. There's always a point where I'm like, I discover some cool little things in an interview and I'm like, oh, I'm really looking forward to sharing this. And I gain a greater appreciation of the game. And I think Illbleed is one of those. I'll be honest, going into this, I'm not a big survival horror fan. I mean, I'm glad I, I picked up Illbleed. And I'm glad I'm covering it just because I own it and I have some experience with it. But I was kind of dreading the notes for this. And then when I got to this part, this is where I kind of started to get a little into it. Because um, the game's characters were actually... Designed by Masaki Segawa. Yes, his last name has Sega in it. Segawa. <laughs> Wonder if that's how he got along so well with the company. Um, he is a manga artist who had a long history with Sega. So Segawa worked on art for Fantasy Star 3. Um, he also designed characters for Blue Stinger and even worked as an enemy designer for Altered Beast. And his own works include manga adaptations of Futaro Yamada novels, including Basilisk. Have you ever heard of that? No, I haven't. I was going to Google it right now just to see what what his books were like. Are they acclaimed? Oh, I see. I, He's a manga I, I, artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I haven't. But he has some interesting design work, like... There's this one where, oh my god, never mind. It's like a really, I don't know. I don't want to, not going to put that on. But yeah, it's uh, pretty interesting. I'm just yeah, going to yeah. say. Yeah, so. Um, go on. No, 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 go ahead. I was going to say, I did look up the game that this one supposedly influenced. It's called Intel Dawn. It's an actual really popular game. It's like an indie horror game. Oh, okay. I've heard of that. Yeah, okay. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I think in terms of like his manga work, he found a niche in adapting uh, this dude's work into um, manga. So mm. it's a Japanese novelist, and he was making mm. uh, it basically adapting this Japanese novelist's work. That's kind of what his thing was. But um, I was just kind of impressed to see that he had such a strong Sega pedigree especially with Fancy Star 3. Now, I don't know if he was a character designer, but he definitely did some art for it. Oh, yeah. Uh, so let's bring up some of these characters here. Maybe we can kind of, at the end, look back and see if we see a, a similarity between some of these works that we talked about. So first up, we have Erica. And again, I'm going to rely on the manual itself. So let me pop it open here. And... This manual, it's beautiful. It's so nice. Uh, Erica, she is... Or Erico. Oh, it's Erico. I'm so sorry. Um, she is head of the Horror Movie Research Club. Her parents operate a traveling haunted house, which they dub the Horror Caravan. They force her to watch only horror movies since the age of seven. 
This made her a genuine horror kid. Last year, she appeared on a TV quiz show featuring horror movies. With her knowledge and remarkable concentration, she easily won. She also starred in a horror movie called Killer Man 7, Killer Man Goes to Japan, which it. introduced her to the acting world. <laughs> uh, Eriko is 18 years old when she doesn't uh, warn and an enemy appears. She rises to her feet quickly. Her pulse is slow to rise when encountering shock events. Um, you brought up, you said, why is she just like wearing a t-shirt like, or like a rag? Like a rag as in like, <laughs> she's like, is that, that's not a skirt. That's like a rag. She like, picked it up on the floor. It started as a white skirt. Um, so I don't know if she gets this beat up in the game, but yeah, it's, yeah. I've never seen that many women wear white skirts. It's just saying it looks like a uh, paper towel that she just got ripped off. <laughs> <laughs> it does look like a paper towel. Um, our next buddy here we have Kevin oh, man. Kurtzman here he is shooting a toilet okay uh, I, he's almost doing like the Sonic Adventure pose right yeah <laughs> um, here's what we know about Kevin so he is a classic horror movie fan as shown in his devotion to Mar Pro's Dracula series any horror movie made after the 1980s which we call splatter films, he despises. So he's a snob. Um, he has a reputation of being laid back. He has a profound knowledge of middle-aged legends, which contributed to his high grades in history class. Kevin is 17 years old, and he has all-around average characteristics. Pretty cool. Pretty cool guy. I like this piece of art right here. Um, it's very dra dramatic, like the way he moves, like he's moving in motion. Yeah. And he's just shooting. Like, I, I could see that being a meme. It's like how I flush the toilet. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Not the same. How, how I flush the toilet after taking a big shit. You just shoot it. It's the only way um, to kill the smell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up, we have Randy Fairbanks. Oh. Randy recently joined the Horror Club. He is a typical American horror movie fan who prefers the female roles in splatter films more than an interesting plot. His room is filled with horror villain collectibles. He recently purchased a chainsaw for $10,000, which was used in an actual movie. Wow. It is mo his most treasured possession. He is 16 years old, and he, he's 16 years old, no, and he is no. now $10,000 in debt. Um, 16? This guy, look at his character. He's like a Marine. I know, right? His physical strength is the highest of all the characters, but his adrenaline is fairly low. And I think this is going to be a new um, segment on the show. Uh, why do all the black characters in Japanese games have to be the tall, brutish ones with the uh, high power level but low stamina? I was going to say, is he is he supposed to be black? He is, yeah. Okay, I didn't know, because he doesn't, I mean, he kind of looks like maybe Hispanic, he's, I thought. He's, like, uh, maybe mixed race, but he most yeah. definitely is, like, the black character in this game. The stereotype, pretty much. Yeah, the stereotype. Yeah. Just like uh, Combo in Jet Set Radio. Yeah. And um, Big Bo in uh, Binary Domain, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, There's yeah. other games, so, like Final Fantasy know. VII also has it, but yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's a thing. I don't know why. Um, finally, well, not finally, there is one more little surprise character. Uh, we have Michelle Waters. They took a picture uh, outside. She is, 
You like her picture? <laughs> they took a picture outside of a forest because they didn't want to do background art. And then they just put her on. And she looks massive, too. She's <laughs> as tall as, like, a tree. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, she is spiritual by nature. Her ability earned her an award from the Spiritual Capacity Association. She likes horror movies that contain evil spirits and is involved in studying them. She is most passionate about spirits overtaking people and the ritual of exorcisms. She volunteers in helping drive evil spirits from children with strange sicknesses and is popular among them. She is 17 years old. Her adrenaline is the highest of all the characters, but her physical strength is the weakest. I like her design Um, better. She's wearing an actual skirt. Uh, She's wearing, like, actual mm -hmm. clothing and... uh, she has a cool haircut, and the color green's pretty nice, so there you go. I would say she's... And it's kind of hard to see. Lead. In in this picture... So in, in my manual, there's uh, two pictures for each character, so you can see her here. Um, oh, see, this is why profile. I was thinking he's probably African-American. Oh, you're too, right. But, Maybe, like, half Japanese? Um, I think he's mixed race, yeah. Um, so she, though, if you see here, that, but then she's wearing, like, uh, like... A Dragon Ball Z like power level meter thing on her eye, like a yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, interesting. I, I, she's very um. Well, we'll get to it. I'll get to it. But first up, we have our last character. First up, we have our last character. I just said. Well, Look at this got, doofus. This guy is. <laughs> this guy. This guy looks like uh, the random dude. I don't know, just like some dude from like a comic book. You know what I mean? Like. White random kid that has nothing to do with the story pops up. This is it. So this is Yorg, Uh-oh. and his name is Yorg S. Baker, and he did not receive any sexy art. I don't think he's in any of the other artwork for the oh, game. Poor guy. This is the only picture I have of him. Yeah, uh, he is a reporter who is investigating mysterious mur- murders on the park's staff members. He eventually ends up grabbed by zombies before he can solve the case and has to be rescued as well. He is named after Jorg S. Tittle, who did publicity work for Crazy Games, and it also appears that he did the voice for the character in the game. Uh, He is not a member of the Horror Movie Research Club, and I believe he is an optional character. Like, you can rescue him if you do a certain thing in the game so he's kind of like a little like easter egg character um yeah we we like york uh so what are your thoughts on the character designs and do you see any elements of his past works in these ill bleed designs and i'm just gonna say what i was gonna say with michelle is she has a very fantasy star yeah vibe with her like hair and the little scout thing i was gonna, i was gonna say the same thing the the colored hair uh reminds me a lot of uh, it was kind of a staple of anime back then. Everyone having like these bright colored hair, but it seems like it got carried over here uh, with these characters. It was, it was always something that like kind of drew me to the, their games was the anime look, which was popular back then. Um, mm-hmm. I will I will say that like uh, they're pretty good character art, but it, there's like some sort of contrast in the game. Like when you see the cover art, it's like does not remind you of an anime game, you know? And then you look at the actual characters and they're all anime characters. So it's like, look, yeah, so it's just a little baby head. That could be anything. This game could be American. You wouldn't know just by looking at the cover. You know what it looks like, too? The cover reminds me of the Ring game for the Dreamcast, too. That also... 
also had like a baby head face. Do you remember that? The ring. The ring terrors realm. Uh, maybe not a baby face, but it had like a woman's face, and it was half woman's face, half oh, skull. I don't remember. I don't even remember this game. We're gonna cover this, but it looks one day. very much like Illbleed when you compare the two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it does. Infograms release, um, but yeah, the cover art is interesting. Now that you mention it, since we're talking artwork, it has the Toy Story parody character right at the top. It has a. I think the Sonic parodies kind of off to the side there. And then, yeah, basically all the creatures are uh, are there. And then on the back of the game, that's when you get the anime characters and, like, tons of dismembered bodies and stuff. Um, yeah, pretty interesting. Um, so uh, I think overall, um, decent artwork. It, it kind of reminds me of... Um, Oh man, uh, what's what's that RPG Evolution? Mm. So I remember when I picked up Evolution um, for the Dreamcast, it was all based on the artwork. When I played the game itself, it was a little blah. But I remember the artwork just looking so cool. Um, and that artist had a connection to a lot of past games too. It, th- their work is kind of escaping me. But in this case, too, you look at this art and there's something about it that kind of grabs you. And I think now looking back at uh, Masaki Segawa's work, like, yeah, absolutely. I see those connections to Blue Stinger, even Fantasy Star 3. Um, so, yeah, I have nothing but positive things to say about the game's artwork. I've, I've seen much worse. I've, or I shouldn't say I've seen much worse. I've seen terrible art in Dreamcast games. Oh, so this yeah. one. I give it a thumbs up. I like that. I think that's a positive element for the game, for sure. I just wish there was more art. You know what I mean? Like, it would have been... For sure. Yeah, it would have been cool. It seems like each character got maybe two drawings done, and not Yorg got, like, that doofy picture of his big forehead. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, now if you want to kick, kick on, put on that uh, beautiful gameplay footage... Uh, this is just giving you guys a taste of what the game looks like. And this is courtesy of Master LL. And this is, I believe, kicking off with stage one. So you're just going to be seeing the, the title screen, and then we're going to get right into some gameplay here. Um, so being a survival horror game, Illbleed definitely looks the part. But this game, as I mentioned, is far from a Resident Evil knockoff. The game kicks off in a hub world. And I absolutely love hub worlds and dreamcast games just as an aside I, I know nowadays they're very commonplace but hub worlds back then were not common they really weren't um when you got one it was kind of like super special because you're like oh this is an area i can run around in but i'm not gonna get killed it's like a, a bonus stage <laughs> um so what I, I just a little aside. What are some of your most memorable like Dreamcast hub worlds that you remember? I mean, I think everyone's is, is going to say uh, Shimio because uh, I mean mm. that was like the most amazing one. I would say also Skies of Arcadia because they had it was like a hub universe. Like, like you could literally go all the way around the world, even though obviously they did the whole like. They're little islands, and they were really, really small. But back then, when you're a kid, it, they felt like you, you were really exploring. So that one always impressed me. Um, and I would say, like the, 
I think we talked about it last time about the uh, how Jetsay Radio set up the levels to be one big level. It technically was just a bunch of small stages with loading screens. But when they finally set it up in the end, that was pretty special in my opinion. So I would say those three easily. Absolutely. Um, for me, I would say the biggest surprises for me were um, uh, Wacky Races. I never expected a racing game to have a hub world, but when you kick off the game, you pick your car, and then you're plopped into this this 3D map where you drive around, and then you can enter the different racing stages. I thought that was awesome. Um, other ones that come to mind, Rayman. Uh, it had like just your regular 3D map, but then... I think the first stage had like this almost like a practice stage and then you went in and you had like the access to like the mini games and I think the glow box, uh, the big blue guy, he had his own little world. Um, and I, I'm Sonic Adventure, I, I wouldn't say it's like a hub world game, it's more like an adventure game, but it was just, it was such, I think Dreamcast really was like the hub world uh, console. Like, it's kind of like if you were to look at, you know, like, what sort of gaming conventions really became, uh, kind of got their start. And I know N64 had it a lot, too, but it just seems like Dreamcast really perfected it. A lot of great games came out. And this one, I think, is among them. I, I think this hub world um, here is something that really lets it stand out from um, other games you know, around that time. Um, now, I, I will note, too, that this episode was a pick by Daniel Andres, and I'm going to get to his comment, but I kind of wanted to save it because I want to get through a little bit of this before he may spoil something that we have coming up. Um, so we will get to Daniel's comment uh, after we talk about the cor- uh, the gameplay here. So... Um, yeah, the the hub world, it has the six attractions as well as a shop zone, which features a drugstore where you can purchase health items, a photo shop, which is basically where you save your game, an emergency room where you revive strength and bring back dead characters, a cemetery, which showcases all those who have died in Illbleed, and then a visitor bank where dead characters are held. Um, you begin the game as Eriko, but along the way, you rescue and unlock her three friends, as well as uh, that York <laughs> guy. Um, game pro- progression is uh, pretty simple on paper. And I say on paper because they actually have the game progression laid out in the manual. And when I rented this, I was very confused by this game. Reading the manual, it's almost like a board game without the instructions. Like, once you read this, so much makes sense. Um Basically, you make your way through the six attractions, uh, you kill or escape enemies, you check your environment for traps, and to check traps, players must use their senses of sight, smell, hearing, and the sixth sense, which is the jump pack. Like the movie? So I love that it, it you know, like dead people. Well, yeah, kind of, because the jump, jump pack will kind of tremor and give you this little, like, spider sense sort of thing. So, um, uh, Skies of Arcadia did that too, right? It would do something with the jump pack or maybe i'm thinking actually it would the disc would get red before an enemy battle would yeah. come <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. Uh, yeah very useful um if you die in the game it's typically from being scared and having a heart attack um or having your 
hit points depleted. And if all your characters die, it's game over. So it's, it feels very much like board game rules. Oh, yeah. Um, like a Lovecraft. Which is game. not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it kind of reminds me of 13 Dead End Drive, which was actually a game where you would get killed by traps. Um, it's it's a popular commercial, if you've ever seen that. Um, and as I mentioned, the hub world does have six attractions. Each one is self-contained, however, and it's usually a horror spoof, though at one point there is a Toy Story parody. And completing a stage is done in eight steps. So this is based on the manual. What you do is you go to the theater, you enter the theaters in order, you view the condition screen, so like read the instructions, tells you what you need to do to beat the stage, use the horror monitor by selecting, and I believe that's what actually is in front of that uh, one girl's eye now Mm. that I think of it. Um, uh, And it's helpful, but it depletes your adrenaline. And basically you successfully mark spots on the map of suspected traps and enemies. And if you are correct, then your adrenaline levels will go back up. And then you investigate the stage for traps using the monitor. And if you get scared or injured, you use items to keep yourself from dying. And I I think one of the um, uh, really fun things about the game are those little traps and surprises and the problem is is that you're supposed to prevent yourself from seeing them, but a lot of them are kind of like what make the game so funny and silly. And so I think it's kind of a missed opportunity gameplay-wise to not maybe make you immune to the scare because you're like, oh, there's something scary here, and then it happens, but you're like, I knew it was going to happen. That doesn't scare me. Um, now, there is a game I'm... I was going to look it up before we did this, and I'll ask you. It's a GameCube game. It's a horror game, and it did weird and wacky things to your TV to freak you out. Do you remember that? I'm trying to remember. Hmm. I haven't. It I... would switch your TV to video too. It would say your save files corrupted. Like it would do really weird shit. Oh, I I don't think I've ever played it. But uh, do you uh, do you know the name of the game? Or are you asking me to if I remember it? I'm I'm asking you because I don't remember it. Mm, no, I don't. Um, no, I'm like searching live. No, um, mysterious memory card corruption. You sure it's not Eternal that? Darkness? That's it. Yeah. Yes, the sanity effects. That's it. Yeah. Um, now I think that's a game that kind of implements it a lot better because you're constantly seeing those sorts of things and you're talking about it with your friends. This game, you're like, man, I played Illbleed, I died. What happened? A coconut, like, farted on me or something? You know, yeah. like, it would be a lot better if you're like, ah, I, I, I figured out that, you know, this weird thing was going to happen, and it shows it to you. So, kind of a knock on the game there. Um, at the end, you collect the required items, you clear the stage, and you collect your prize. Really simple. Nah, not really. Um... The game is actually fairly difficult, I think. Um, There are also enemy encounters on top of the traps. And when you come face-to-face with an enemy, if you don't have a weapon to fight them, you have to find a way to, like, escape from them or you have to battle them and defeat them. But you cannot leave the battle area until you do one of those two things. So what's your opinion on Illbleed's gameplay? 
from what I've described. So what it kind of reminds me of is those like old school like uh, dungeon crawler games, but like with a Japanese horror twist. It's like these guys really liked horror movies, and they're like, let's make a you know this theme park game. And the rules kind of remind me of like those Cthulhu games. They have these these kind of like pen and paper games where the rules are like if you see some body or whatever that you'll go insane, right? And you have an insanity meter. Right. So it kind of reminds me like they copied stuff like that. They picked up a little bit of here, a little bit of there. Uh, but it seems very unique. I don't think there's ever been a game like this on Dreamcast. It's more of a, I guess, rogue dungeon crawler. I'm assuming you want to mm-hmm. use up your characters, and then when you save somebody, you can switch off and have a fresh body to go out there with? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's kind of like uh, the Sonic Mania Mania mode, where you like want to build up as many characters in your roster as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you, and on one hand, that's great, uh, but I, I like you said, you, you switch between them, so it's not like you're stuck with one character until they die, and then the next one takes the bench or gets off the bench and uh, takes over. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's a unique spin on the survival horror genre. I actually really like how it has a very uh, established rule of stage one through six. This is how you get through it. It's very gamified, but it makes sense because it is not only a video game, but it's within a theme park. So it makes sense that there would be, mm. you know, it's like playing the ring toss, but instead you're going into a horror movie and dying. Um I think the stages themselves are super goofy and they're all very different. Um, Some I think had more thought put into them than others. Uh, I also think a lot more people experience obviously the earlier ones than the later ones. So they always become more iconic. Yeah. Uh, So there are six stages and the first one, so, okay. The first one is called Minnesota Hell Cinema, and that's the name of the theater. And then the movie is called The Home Run of Death, and this is the one I'll kind of get a little more in-depth on. Um, It kicks off, and and here's what the, kind of like the narration is. You play a sport, a game, knowing full well that you're either going to win or lose. You never expect to die before your dreams come true. Neither did Jimmy or his father, Gail Banballow a Minnesota innkeeper. He set up a secret baseball practice arena in the basement of his inn where he and his son practiced day after day. Jimmy's hard work and batting skills finally led his team to a state victory. It started out a crisp spring day, but before Jimmy could go outside to play, he and his dad went downstairs to bat the ball around a few times. Upstairs, some teenagers had been playing with with fire, turning the inn into a raging blaze that was soon out of control. The inn was a total loss, and so was Jimmy, burned in minutes. Mr. Banbelow was so badly maimed, he turned into a hideous monster, oozing and bleeding, snarling and growling like a beast, enraged and bent on revenge. He tracked down the kids responsible for the fire and killed them, one by one, with a blowtorch. That wasn't enough for Banbelow. He wouldn't leave his inn or his memories, or he waits in in ambush it's a little broken english there but basically this is the uh friday the 13th yeah (laughs) you know um in a minnesota cabin but it's baseball uh 
I think that's it's funny. It's I think it's very interesting though that a Japanese person would like think of the Midwest, like the American Midwest of all things, right. and actually kind of nail it with baseball and yeah, it's in cabins. Like I I, I really have to wonder how much. Um, and we'll get into the creator, but like how much media he took in because he seems to really. This is a very Americanized game. Yeah, like for for the, yeah. I mean, just looking at like I told you, if you look at the cover and you didn't know anything about it, I think you like and even the name Ill Bleed doesn't sound Japanese. Like when you see Blue Stinger, there's an anime character right in the forefront. So that one always mm-hmm. gave me the Japanese vibes. This one didn't, so that's why I think I always skipped it and went like. Uh, I, uh, I'll I'll try it some other time and never got around to it, but yeah, yeah. And um, as far as how the mission is presented, so to give you an idea of the gameplay, it'll say to the challengers: your mission is to calm the anger of Banbello. He his only weakness is Jimmy. Though he is mad, he quickly drops his guard when he thinks of Jimmy. Memories of Jimmy is the key to this mission. So. You know, going in, if you start to see like baseballs or baseball bats or maybe his hat or pictures, you collect these things and then you kind of present them to the the monster when he appears so that you can take down his guard. So it doesn't, you know, it's not like the type of game where it's like, find the blue key or kill every enemy. Like there's a little more thought involved, a little more of a puzzle uh, to what you're supposed to figure out now. What makes it difficult, though, is that the traps are never in the same place. It's all randomized. The items are the only thing that don't change. So if you're playing through this game again, it doesn't... like A, and a frequently asked questions like GameFAQs thing would not really assist you. You're not going to find a map or a, a guidebook saying, avoid these areas. It's, um, like I said, it's, it's randomized, which I think is good. Keeps the game fresh. Um... Going through the other four, I'll go through these real quick. There is stage two is Cinepanic, the Revenge of the Queen Worm, where you explore an abandoned playground and you discover the ghost of a worm farmer who seeks uh, their help in putting his gigantic prized breeding worm, Rachel, out of her misery. And, um, and this is the stage where Michelle is in it. So if you find Michelle within the 30-minute time limit, you save her. Uh, stage three is Boogie's Fun Movies, uh, Wood Puppets. <laughs> um, a vindictive tree spirit named Trent kills Lumberjack and chainsaw enthusiast George McLaughlin, then takes over his mill, turning the workers into killer mannequins. The player must enter the mill, destroy the diabolical plant and its army of wood puppets. If the player finds Randy within the 50-minute time limit, they will save him. There is also an Easter egg in failing to find Randy's brain. Uh, if the player reaches him within the time limit, but without getting his brain, he will become brainless Randy. So it's kind of funny how you can save one of your friends, but there's an alternate version who doesn't have a brain. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I believe Randy is... Oh, poor Randy. He's the he's the tall guy who likes the sexy girls in the horror movies. Yes. Um, stage four is Shock It To Me Theater, and that stage is called Killer Department Store, and the player enters the ruins of Cashman Department Store, facing haunted merchandise and the ghost of the greedy owner, Donald Cashman. 
McDonald. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's a commentary on another greedy man. Called Cash Man? Uh, well, Donald, like a an owner, like a like an owner of some hotel rooms, maybe or something like that. I don't know. Might have seen him. I, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, stage five is Hall of Resentment. Killer Man. Oh, this is actually the uh, the movie series that um, Eriko was in, right? She was in Killer Man 7. Oh, yeah. The, she um, goes to Japan. Yeah, Instead right? So she must know this one well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the player must help solve a murder mystery in a broken attraction. If the player finds Yorg after the zombies capture him, he will become a playable character. So this is the one where Yorg is hidden. And then finally... We have stage six, Child's Place, and the game is, or the the movie is Toy Hunter. The player takes the role of Cork Inda, a cross between Woody from Toy Story and Indiana Jones, to help him travel to Toy Hell and back to rescue his lover, Sexy Doll. And if you look at Sexy Doll, she just got a big ass, and she's sticking it out. Yep. Um, we'll actually have a picture of Sexy Doll at the end, okay. so stay tuned. <laughs> um, from and you are you are saving Sexy Doll from the clutches of the ruler of Toy Hell, Zodic the Hellhog. What? Which is a parody of Sonic the Hedgehog. So it has to be seen to believe, be believed. So let's switch over to the Toy Hunter uh, boss fight. We don't have to watch the whole thing, but you are a Indiana Jones. Wow. Woody from Toy Story shooting Sonic the Hedgehog With as rings? he drops his rings. They're not, they're like yeah. nuts. And he really. does a he does a spin attack. Like Oh my god, yeah. He's like a he's like a bat, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, it's Zodic. So he's a hellhog. Yeah, so he's a bat. So imagine if you're not seeing this Sonic but he has bat like wings coming out of his head. He's 100 feet tall. Um <laughs> Hundred feet tall. He's kind of warehogging out, like his claws are coming out of his gloves. He's got yellow eyes. It's pretty crazy. He, he's the he's really um, slow though. He's like the opposite of Sonic, really. <laughs> and I have to ask you now: Do you think this is why the game is such a cult classic and expensive? Because of Sonic, I'm not joking. Hmm. Because because of this, probably. I mean, the whole. I I also think that like. The like playing the whole horror thing, like a like kind of a comedy, has been popular in horror stuff, and it's something that like a lot of developers don't do. Like when developers make horror games, they try to take it seriously, like it's art. And these people are kind of like a B movie game. They're they're a B game, and they know it, so they're making fun of B horror movies. Kind of like the Evil Dead, where like Evil Dead Two was literally like gore comedy. So right. I think maybe that combined with all, I, I'm I'm pretty sure Sonic fans aren't helping it try to collect every little thing Sonic. Right, that's why I I think when you are collecting for the Dreamcast or you're just a Sonic fan, as soon as you see oh there's this horror game where there's like a Sonic boss fight, people will pick this game up, and I think that's probably what led to it becoming a lot more rare. Mm. Um, also, if you see in the footage, he does the pose. He puts his foot behind his other foot and puts his finger up and wiggles it. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's <laughs> that's pretty wild. Um, and then there actually is a final stage. It's not a movie, but it is the Michael Reynolds Horror Museum where you confront Reynolds and one of his three sinister boss monsters in order to claim their reward. So they're 
The bosses are either the Bull Stinger, which sounds very much like Blue Stinger. Yeah. Um, the Cashman Spider or Ono Man. And there is also an alternate ending to the game where the player discovers the sinister connection between Erico and Michael Reynolds, which is interesting because that reminds me of D. Remember where there was the uh, surprising connection between uh, what D is and your main character there? So there's yeah. I thought you were talking about. I thought we were talking about like uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia because you said D and then you said Reynolds. Sweet D, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh my god, we're going to talk about Always Sunny. (laughs) No, no, that's our that's your other podcast. Yeah, that's the other one. Um, so having read through the gameplay, the stages, all this stuff, uh, can you see why this game is a cult classic? Like, do you see the appeal to it, and do you see why it maybe stands out from like Evil Dead? Oh yeah. Or uh, The Ring in terms of the Dreamcast horror games? Yeah, it has a Japanese anime feel. It has uh, Sonic the Hedgehog uh, like references. But I think the horror movie references and the idea behind it, like it being a board game is unique. Like there's nothing like, I mean, just describing it, like I don't think I've ever played a game that's like this after it. That has this sort of humor and this sort of like, even until dawn it takes itself seriously. I would assume, I haven't played it, but... I would assume it takes itself seriously. So, like, uh, right. yeah, so I would say that, yeah, I can see why it's a cold classic. What about you? $400 cold classic. Yeah, right. I, I think it's insane. The price of it's insane. Then again, retro game prices in general are insane. I actually uh, was going to buy the Star Wars chess game for Sega CD because I always would see it for, like, 20 bucks and never pick it up. It's $125 now. Like, why? 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 But... It is what it is. Um, I want to actually hear from Daniel Andres. So I'm going to read his comments now because I feel like he would want to, he would want to join us in, in saying what his thoughts are. So this is his pick, and these are his words. He says, oh my goodness, which I think is becoming Daniel's uh, catchphrase. I love when he opens with, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, what a unique title this one is, Ill Bleed. What an interesting game. I believe this was the first time I ever actually heard of this game was by finding the final boss somehow on the internet, Zodic the Hellhog. Yes, there is a giant demonic version of Sonic in this game, and to my surprise, he was actually voiced by Ryan Drummond. Hey, look at that. Uh, That's why I saved this, because (laughs) that's a pretty wild um, surprise there. I didn't know that. Uh, I'm sure he had a... Yeah, so, like, this is as close to official parody of Sonic that you will ever get. Um, To my surprise, yeah, he was voiced by Ryan Drummond. I'm sure he had a lot of fun with this role. I also think he voices a few other characters in the game. Anyways, the sheer sight of the concept of the final boss and the story around it was enough to get me intrigued. Now, I will say this is the final boss for that stage, Mm -hmm. but not for the game. Uh, It's definitely one of the more unique titles on the Dreamcast. Just last September or so, I started playing this game, and I almost fell right in love with its spooky concepts. However, the only thing that was a snag was its gameplay mechanics. The game most definitely requires a tutorial of what to do. Exactly. This is not a rental, you just get the disc and go home game, as I sadly learned back in 2001, 2002. Um, So I'm... um, most definitely recommend watching the Happy Video Game Nerd Illblade video review to figure out what to do in this game. Once you figure it out, it's great to play. 
It has practically every classic horror movie trope put into a blender and spread out creatively in one fantastic horror movie game. Illbleed really is one of a kind, and it keeps me keeps giving me spooky surprises that I'm loving. I think I'm currently on stage four or five, the toy shop one, and it's still great to play. I still have yet to get through it personally on my own, but even so, I've played through enough to know I love this game. The Dreamcast truly is the home for the most unique, creative, and funnest games ever made. And Illbleed is no exception. In fact, it's an acceptance to how the Dreamcast is so damn amazing and truly one of a kind. One of the greatest horror games ever made. And it's exclusive to one of the greatest consoles ever made. Blah ha 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 ha. For now. That's my words. For now. Yeah, for now. No. For now. I mean... Until Microsoft buys the Dreamcast. (laughs) (laughs) No, they're going to buy crazy games. They are. They are. So, yeah. So, thank you, Daniel. And, uh, yeah, I I really love that uh, Sonic voice actor actually voiced Zodic. Zodic the Hellhog. Um, The game's music was by... Yukinori Kikuchi, whose credits include uh, a few mo- Macross games, uh, and of note to Sega Atlas fans, he did the music for the game 30, 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. Great game. Uh, have you played yeah, that? Yeah, I, I beat it. It's great. It's worth playing. It's like a visual novel with some like RTS-type mm-hmm. gameplay. It's, uh, it's, it's a nice game if you like sci-fi. There's a lot of references to sci-fi. Nice. Do you remember the music at all? Yes, it's, it's good, yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, I, I thought the game uh, music in this game was spooky, eclectic. Um, I thought the hub world music was very catchy. Uh, but overall, it, it just kind of suits the game well. Nothing really stood out. I'm not going to pick up the soundtrack or anything. Um, though, if we really want to get into uh, who made Illbleed, what it was. So the game was directed by Tetsuro Sugimori, and I found very little information about him. However, the producer and writer, there is an abundance of information, and that is Shinya Nishigaki. And Nishigaki is most well-known for creating and producing Blue Stinger. And uh, sadly, though, Nishigaki died of a heart attack at the age of 42 in 2004. Um, And I'm not going to make a joke about all the heart attacks in this game, but it's interesting <laughs> that a game that's so heavily reliant on people having heart, heart attacks, and I'm going to go off script again and say our Kenji Eno episode, mm-hmm. he did a lot of games about hypertension, and he died of hypertension. Like he, It just seems very interesting that these um, Japanese game developers who really do stories about horror and fear and fright and, you know heart-wrenching events actually they themselves suffered from either heart problems or hypertension problems it is genetics right so he probably saw a lot of his family members uh, pass away from the same thing could yeah yeah absolutely um however seeing as that ill bleed released after blue stinger i think it's only fitting that we really hold off on covering a lot of his early work until we do that episode so when you watch this on our youtube playlist that is in chronological order, you'll go, ah, they're getting to Illbleed, and I am all caught up on Nishigaki. Uh, so, fingers crossed, George does the uh, Blue Stinger episode, so I don't have to do those notes. I'll probably, um, I mean, I, would, I wouldn't mind doing Blue Stinger. That's an interesting launch game. 
And I will say too, and you know, if, if that is what you cover, I found some fantastic interviews um, done over the years looking back on his work after he passed away. And that's where I actually got a lot of the info. I actually went back through the notes and, and layered some stuff in when I got to this bit. Um, and, and I do want to talk about him a little bit. So uh, Crazy Games was actually a rebranding of Climax Entertainment, which was the developer, uh, of course, of um, Blue Stinger. And it's the same studio. They just rebranded. They had a new, new name. Um, however, following Illbleed's release, the studio... They, they did a little more work. They worked with Hitmaker in designing the arcade game Maze of the King. And then following the announcement of the Dreamcast being discontinued, uh, Crazy Games actually closed their studio in an interview conducted one month before his death. Um, Nishigaki actually talked about the closing that took place uh, a few years prior. He said, to me, Crazy Games is not closed. It's only sleeping. With the economic situation in Japan the way it is, it was better to close Crazy Games, he said. Um, however, uh, Shinya Nishigaki had such strong connections with the development community, including Hisao Oguchi, the then president of the Sega development studio Hitmaker, who he did work with, as I mentioned, on Maze of the King, that thanks to a recommendation by Oguchi to Cavia Incorporated president and CEO Hayao Nakayama. I know I'm throwing a lot of names yeah. at you. Um, basically, the entire Crazy Games team, within a month of closing down the studio, was hired to work for Cavia. So, just goes to show you that if you have the right connections and people like you, you're you're going to do well in business. Like, here's a guy that made two games that didn't do too well. But he worked hard. He caught the attention of Sega. And so he's like, hey, guys, bad news. We're closing the studio down. We're all out of work. One week later, actually, good news. We all just got hired by Cavia Incorporated. <laughs> you know, like, oh, yeah, that's not bad. Um, uh, unfortunately, you know, he, he did not live much longer. But I'm hoping a lot of his team still, you know, stuck around and made some great work. Uh, Illbleed itself has many movie references, so it's no coincidence that Nishigaki actually credited his love of movies for helping him to produce not only Illbleed, but video games. He said in an interview, my father worked for a movie studio that is now called Toho Towa, and for many years I never had to pay admission to see a movie. I would go with my dad and I would see them all the time. I would see European and American movies. And the movies were free. So there there you have it. That's why this dude knows so much, uh, knew so, so much about uh, American culture. He was watching every single American movie for free. Um, Illbleed was actually meant to release a bit earlier than Japan in the West, in 2000 in fact. However, due to quality reasons, Sega of America turned the game down which led to AIA to publish the game. And I could not find any information on AIA outside of the fact that they published Illbleed. And I even looked up their website, and it is a Flash website. So it's archived, but I cannot access it, unfortunately. Um, Illbleed holds the honor of being the only Dreamcast game to have an official Chinese version released. That's weird. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, because it's so bloody. Um yeah, and, and it was released 
and here we go. Here's the connection to today's date. So as we record, it is January 19th, 2022. Illbleed had its final version released in China on January 15th, 2002. So almost 20 years ago, last week, Illbleed saw its kind of last official version come out. And that was by a different publisher. It was Mr. Game. What a and, generic name. You know, if <laughs> yeah, right? And if you're wondering, like, why weren't there more, you know, Chinese versions of Dreamcast games? Well, get this. So the game was actually localized and translated by a Hong Kong gaming magazine. So it's like the Hong Kong gaming magazine staff had to do the translation work. It's not like there was a studio. So I have to imagine they were really excited to play this game, so they wanted to make it themselves, maybe. Yeah. Um, the game saw a very limited release in Taiwan uh, with 300 copies in a special box set that included a calendar and a soundtrack CD. So um, I'm just throwing this out there. Do you think that's probably making it the most limited official Dreamcast release of all time? I mean, 300 copies? Yes. I, I can't think of anything else, especially with that comes with extras, right? Right. Did, did you ever get a, a picture of think- it? I well, someone on Twitter posted a picture of the calendar, but it looks like it's a Japanese calendar. So maybe yeah, I think I'm looking at the it. Taiwan. Maybe the Taiwan box set had a Japanese calendar. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, that's like that's super limited. The only thing I can think of is maybe like uh, variants of games maybe having a limited run, or maybe uh, what's another Dreamcast game. What was that for Dreamcast? It was um, Kenji Eno did a mini game compilation, but I don't think it was for Dreamcast. I think it was PS2 or something. Some um, YouTuber posted it saying they have it, so I'm gonna probably put a video and see if he actually maybe he just has nice. a picture of it on Google. He's like, here you go. Oh, uh, this thing's huh, sl- loading all slow. But anyway, it looks just like the regular thing in a different case, by the way. So, yeah, there it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. It has, like, its own... Um, yeah. Yeah, I do, I do know on that subject he that has it uh, Dreamcast, Dreamcast Direct, or if you bought games in Japan for the Dreamcast and collected, like, points, you could redeem them online. Yep. And they would sometimes have, like, exclusive games or alternate cover arts i think skies of arcadia or eternal eternal arcadia might have had one so yeah pretty limited um on release illbleed received mixed reviews but according to sega retro it actually averaged a respectable 76 out of 100 which i think is quite good for a game that some people say is eh, you know um next gen said if you love horror movies or just want something different in a survival horror game there's enough good stuff here to make it worth overlooking the annoying parts. And in Japan, Famitsu gave it a score of 28 out of 40. Um, I think that's, a, I mean, I think Next Gen kind of nails it there. Like, there's a lot of bad or so-so Dreamcast games, especially Dreamcast horror games, oddly enough. Like, as I mentioned, The Ring, Terror's Realm, yeah. um, Evil Dead. There's so many others that come to mind. I'm trying to... Uh, there, there's a, a lot of um, like N64 and PlayStation ports. Like, uh, I think Dino Crisis is on Dreamcast. Deadly Creatures, I think it was one of them. With two, I think. The one with the guy you play with a little hook. Has kind of a horror feel yeah, to it. What's, 
what's the one with the shirtless guy and he's got sunglasses Shadow Man. and he's like reaching out? Shadow Man. Yeah. Is that a good game? I've never, I own it. I, I've never played it, and it, they actually re-released it not that long ago on the Steam. Somebody, like, some publisher bought yeah. it. Um, I will say that, like, I th- you know, when we talked about why people are attracted to this game, and we obviously said the whole horror movie vibe. Another game that kind of reminds me of this game that is, like, unique, but just, like, takes a feeling of a movie that people really like, like a cult classic, like film or whatever and they like kind of emulate it to a, a video game is that like deadly premonition with twin peaks so a lot of people like twin peaks and then they like oh i like playing this game because it reminds me of twin peaks so it's like that's a great yeah. point yeah and i will say too for a lot of like dead media horror is always the last genre to really become collectible like vhs tapes you go to you know like any goodwill if they have vhs tapes you're not going to find any horror tapes they've been picked through they're already on ebay for like 40 50 bucks um i have a vhs tape of a horror movie that goes for like 100 bucks just because people like the cover art and it's a movie that didn't see dvd release you know um same with magazines same with novelizations if you think you know like you know star wars novelizations are going for Five bucks, four dollars, whatever used, but then horror novelizations. I think uh, like horror, or even like spooky stuff, like the Ghostbusters novelizations, going for hundreds. Um, I feel it's just there's something something about the genre that makes it hype, ultra collectible, even for dead formats. I think it's like the whole know you know why. when you see those pictures where they have the circles and the overlap. I think like comic book collectors, mm-hmm. video game collectors, and horror collectors are all kind of the same people. Like they, they like two things or mm-hmm. three things, and they always because a lot of horror people that I know like they like horror movies are pretty nerdy people, and they just take their hobby of you know to collect and they just they right. put it into horror instead. Would you also maybe think that sometimes the older or the maybe not nostalgia, but like the older the format it kind of retains a little more creepiness. Like if I'm going to put on a 4k seventies horror movie disc in the, in the player, it's spooky. But if I'm popping in an old VHS tape of a seventies horror movie, there's like an added level of creepiness to it to me. I don't know why. It feels almost like if I'm watching, even if I'm watching the ring on VHS, I think that's creepier than watching the ring on like, Netflix. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I think it's also that it kind of makes it feel sometimes in some scenes like it's a found footage or like real. I don't know. It's weird because like, I don't know. It's just the way it's grainy. It's not perfect. It gives it a weird twist. Right. I, I, You know, when I was younger, I used to watch a lot of the Italian horror movies, like those underground ones on VHS, like really janky ones. Mm-hmm. So I know exactly what you mean. Right. Like seeing it now on like online with a perfect copy it's like whoa i never noticed like a lot of stuff sometimes so yeah right and then on the subject of like uh horror horror video games on like maybe the n64 playstation even dreamcast there's something about those older graphics that sometimes make it creepier um even when we did our d and d2 episodes like there's just something about like how off-putting the graphics can sometimes be uh, that make it a little more creepier. Like when you have this glass mirror kind of like with hands coming out yeah. of it, it's just the the audio is a little more muted, the video is a little grainier, and it just kind of makes you uneasy because you're like, 
that doesn't look real and it's a little like the, the the faces of like the zombies just look bizarre or even if they start doing motion capture but it's really low poly there's something really creepy about that to me too and their eyes um, like they're just <laughs> weird yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why when i like watch um footage of uh, the latest resident evil game like resident evil village and then i compare it to watching footage of like resident evil like one there's something about those older ones that are just so much creepier when like a dog bursts through a window than when a giant vampire lady like turns into a creature and like flies through the air you know what i mean like it's crazy how much they evolved like um those Resident Evil games, I played um, one mm-hmm. when it first came out on PlayStation, not the director's cut version. Then I played the one on yeah. GameCube that was a remake, and I always thought it was insane jump right there. But now it's like they're they're like they're next. I don't know what they're doing over there. It's pretty high quality. That's all. Yeah. It's like watching movies yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, believe it or not, actually, Illbleed did have an Xbox port planned. Uh, with Sega partnering with a company called CoolNet Entertainment, but the port never saw the light of day. And as I did a little more research, I actually found um, two other sources that kind of piece together the story. And it actually explains a few things that I never understood about some other games that never received uh, Xbox ports. So basically, it was a failed partnership that would have seen Xbox ports, and this was from a press release in Japan, released, I believe, in 2002. Uh, they announced Rent-A-Hero number 1, which was actually completed but never officially released. Uh, they called it Die Hard Arcade 2, but that's basically Dynamite Decca 2 or Dynamite Cop 2. Um, Blue Stinger Premium Cut, which, and then, and, and then of course, Illbleed. All of these were said to include new characters and scenarios, basically being like director's cuts or expanded editions. Um, and I actually learned through some interviews that the reason for these cancellations was contractually they had to release the games in Japan first before they released to any other territories. But because they were Xbox releases, the Xbox was failing in Japan, so the Xbox was not seen as a viable console to release these games, so all the games were canceled. And in doing so, the international releases were canceled, which is such a wonky contract, because imagine that. They finished the work on Rent-A-Hero Number 1's port, but because contractually they had to release it in Japan first, but did not want to do it, they couldn't do it anywhere else. And this is one of my, now, <laughs> this is one of my things that I like... My, like we know Microsoft's a gajillion dollar company. I'm not saying lose money releasing Rent a Hero, but like if the the thing is already done, why don't you just like hire some voice actors, like actually you know localize it for America and just just shoot it. I think it was. No, it was. That's the thing. I think it was. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's insane. That um, you just like I, it away? I do believe you can. You can download an English version of Rent a Hero number one, the three D, you know, oh, Dreamcast I didn't know release that. brought to Xbox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um so it's unfortunate that this just kind of fell through. I I had no idea that uh Blue Stinger, Die Hard Arcade Two, and Illbleed were also a part of that. So it's it's kind of a shame. That re- would have really been a cool initiative to see like uh and we kind of saw that with Shenmue. Too, yeah. where it 
it saw an Xbox release, even though it didn't see uh, an American release. But we later learned down the line that the work was all finished. They just didn't do it, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, kind of to sum things up before we get to some extra tidbits I threw at the end. Um, in looking at this this story that we've gone through of the development of Illbleed, um, I'm seeing a lot of similarities, as I mentioned, to Kenji Ino. So it's a largely Sega-exclusive developer making offbeat horror games through his own company that sold poorly, uh, but he had the admiration of Sega and Sega higher-ups. And um, the games now are sadly going unreleased. Some of them are still exclusive to their original consoles. And there is no sign of a remaster in sight. So, um, first off, do you see this similarity between Kenji Ino and Nishigaki? A bit, yes. I mean, I think they're different. I think just Kenji being a divisive figure himself, like being anti-corporate company or companies he didn't like, I guess, uh, kind of made him more polarizing. But I think if he never had, mm-hmm. like if he wasn't outspoken, he was just another worker that worked at a video game company, I think people would have yeah. compared these two people as like interchangeable at the time. I think him being abrasive yeah. was what you know made him pull apart from them. But yeah, no, I agree. Like game wise, just playing the games, I they're both doing something unique in the horror genre. Like D two also on the Dreamcast did the whole like light gun, trying to be a light gun games. So and this one's trying to be like a pen and paper RPG horror game. It's interesting, yeah. right? Like I, I, I mean, at the end of the day, like Nishigaki is not putting out a game that has like a. Uh, uh, weird message at the end about how like having children is a form of pollution and that you know we're killing the planet like uh nishigaki seemed a lot more surface level like these are the references to the movies i like enjoy my fun game there's not like some deeper message um fight a hedgehog and also (laughs) right (laughs) and also he seems to like work i mean i think both of them worked really well with sega and sega liked them um but i think the difference is I don't think Sega would say, hey, other company, you should hire Kenji Ino and his team. That never no, happened. No, no. You know, they're like, oh, you're out of business? Too bad. Um, it, it's unfortunate, though, that he died so young, uh, had so few games under his belt. Um, but believe it or not, they actually did make some merchandise for this game. So we have a picture here of a... Erico Christie action figure. I saw this and I thought it was fake. Yeah. But it's real. Look at this. It looks thing. like one of those figures that like those I don't know if you've seen this, but there's like these boutique boutique like uh just like little shops coming out online that they make fake figures for characters and sell them. It's weird. I don't know how they get away with mm-hmm. it co- copywriting it, but that's what it looks like. <laughs> I've seen those. Yeah, they do like a very limited run and I think it's the point where it's like they're out, they're sold. Oop, you can't hit us with a copyright strike. We already are done. Yeah, um, yeah I like it. I, I think this figure is very cool. I like uh, I like the packaging. It's it's very vintage. Like, vintage in the sense that, like, 2001 Japan. So, the um, only really... It kind of reminds me of the TMNT NES cover for... Uh, th- I don't know. The NES cover for uh, t- uh, TMNT 3 with the island. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Just maybe because it just has that gray look to it with the green. But uh, <laughs> um, did they just release this one? 
Because I seen the back. They only made yeah, they only made one action figure. So when you look at the back though, they say first season. I don't know what first season means, but if you look at the back, you can see the big yeah, booty I can girl. See, it. see her sticking her ass. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um I have to presume they wanted to make like a Zodic figure. Um, or they're just showing off like the characters from the game. I'm not too sure. I'd love to see like a higher res version of this so I could see a translation. There's like this dude in the corner. They even uh, have Sonic. Like a pink jumpsuit. Yeah, but look at that. And he's doing his little So that would have been that would have been something if they made a, Z- a Zodic figure. But I will say, because he is on the back, this does technically become like Sonic merch. Uh a f- yeah, official bootleg parody Sonic merch. <laughs> Very weird. Um and then finally to to close things out before we read a few memories, uh we have some magazine ads. So this first one is from the official Dreamcast magazine. This actually appeared in the Spider Man issue, which was the last issue to release. Uh, the first page says, It takes heart to play. Do you have one? And it's got the character artwork. And then when you op- when you turn the page, you get this two beautiful two-page wow, spread. three pages. It says, yeah, right? Illbleed will take yours. So it's talking like, uh, it takes heart to play. We'll take yours. Uh, blood donors wanted. And then it talks all about, you know... Uh, the game give blood coming in february i don't think it actually released in february did it maybe maybe not maybe i'm wrong no it came out in april i love how much blood so, there is on this thing right there's that yeah and uh they're like r- rating pending oh no you don't have to tell me i know i know the rating look at that picture alone and you can see zodic there too of course he's a marketing material this is what i'm saying like zodic and then seeing these zombies like the, the top one looks like the nemesis and like this faceless zombie and this like tentacle worm. It's like a horror game and then there's like the silliness right away. Like even in the beginning, like the first ad, the the first ad looks like a totally different game because of the anime. And then you turn it around, and it's like all horror. Yeah, and I will say just looking at this, Illbleed always to me kinda had uh House of the Dead 2 aesthetics mixed with um Dynamite Cop. Mm. Which you know, like, look at this. Like, it does very much feel like of that sort of Sega game sort of vibe, especially with, like, the Axeman on the top. I think that's the guy that was like, hey, everybody, welcome to the thing. Uh, um, oh, and plus, they has fantasy star art for just artwork because uh, for the main characters. And that's that's how they painted right. it all together. Right, exactly. Um, the next ad is from a Japanese magazine. This one's really interesting because it seems like it's the announcement of Crazy Games as a developer because their logo is basically as big as the Illbleed logo. Mm -hmm. Um, So first page, you see like the baby doll face and then you turn the page on the next spread, you see Michael Reynolds' virtual horror land Illbleed. So yeah, it's a pretty basic ad. I think it's probably the developer announcing themselves to the industry because it's in a gaming magazine. So people are like, oh, Crazy Games, that's a new... You know, who are these guys? Oh, they're making Illbleed, that looks cool. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, next Japanese ad, very strange. I'm not exactly sure. It's... Uh, I'm not a fan of this one. It, 
it looks like a blurred out TV screen. And from what I see, I think it's a screen from the game. I think I see Erico there and like her her uh, towel. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. I, w- I don't like this one because, I mean, the, at least the other ones had a lot. Like, even the American one, they really went crazy showing you what the game looks like. This one, just, just one of those, like, okay, cool, and then move on. Like, it's it's nothing. I'm doing the um, Google Translate app. Uh-oh. So it says, of shock, strike... Last strike something. Is this, is this what you're, you're going to do when you go to Japan? It's just going to go, like, the bathroom? And then you put the phone? Of shock. Yeah, something like, of shock. Something like, die of shock boy, or something. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. You're going to be going to the men's restroom? It's like, <laughs> Oh, did you ever see restroom. those videos? Speak, you're like, no. Speaking of which, those ones where it's like, you're a very beautiful lady. And they go, oh, he called us beautiful. <laughs> no, I I'd go, where is the where is the shitter? <laughs> and they go, oh, over there. Perfect. Thank you, cowboy. <laughs> Sayonara. You ask them where you can buy hamburgers at and oh, stuff. Boy. Oh boy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that that just about does it for Illbleed. Um, before we get into our uh, our memories or comments from the peanut gallery. Uh, do you have any other things to say about this game before we close it out? No, I just want to say that Cavia, the the team that most of these ca- people from Crazy Games uh, went to, the team actually closed down in 2010. And they're actually the, the hmm. team that developed Nier, that now became a Square Enix franchise with Nier Automedia and all that. So it's weird that they, oh, wow. they have like this franchise that now is more popular than it's ever been after they closed down, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> That's how it always is. Yeah. Um, so on this episode, we are actually going to be highlighting a few tweets. Uh, so typically we read off from our uh, Patreon community. Um, I'll be honest, I think because we're not doing some big heavy hitters, people are like, what is Illbleed? I don't have anything to say about it. Uh, and that's okay. I actually like the comments where they go, I've never played this game. But, you know, that's cool. So, from Twitter, I reached out to the Twitterverse and I asked people what their memories of Illbleed are. Uh, we have Junk Weasel here, and Junk Weasel says, Bro, Illbleed being marketed as a horror game with the content that was in it was amazing. Nothing beats the intro to the game. I think people underestimate how interesting that game was with all the levels playing out differently and having self-contained stories. Uh, and then Majima's girlfriend said, a perfect game if only things didn't turn out the way they did for the creator, sad face. And then if you if you hit us up on Twitter too, you can see that calendar there. It's a, a 2002 calendar. Yeah, very cool. Um, so that does it for this episode. George... What's coming up next? Is it a big one? I think it's I a big think one, right? I think it might be Shimu 2. Oh, boy. And they also just announced the anime coming out. So, I'm, I don't know. I'm thinking maybe we could do, like... I don't know how the release is on those things, but I was going to say if you wanted to do, like, 
a like little sit down and talk about the thing and maybe put it on our Patreon page. Like if it releases per week or if not, if it's a season, we can just talk about the season and what we thought about it. I'll make some notes. That'd be fun. I'll make some notes, like some talking points, some changes. That way we can have like a structured discussion. All things Shimu February, mm. basically. Basically, yeah. yeah. Look how nice that works out. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Shenmue February. Lines of great. Yeah, that's coming out February 5th. Are they dropping all the episodes at I once? I don't know. That's why I'm saying we, I don't know how the, the format's going to be. If it's weekly, then I guess every week we'll put a little like 10-minute discussion piece where we just talk, you know. Uh, if it's the whole season, we'll it. just talk about the season. Let's do it live. Do an after show or something. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind doing that. I'll I'll, I'll do I'll do notes. You know, talking like, what do you think about this change and stuff? That we have something to talk about. We don't just go crazy, you know. But yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that'd be fun. It for this episode of Sega Talk. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye. Bye. The new president of the Horror Research Club will now be me, Kevin Kurtzman, due to the fact that our old president, Erico, is just not the same anymore. Poor Erico. Once fearless and strong, she turned into a vulnerable little girl who needs a fearless knight in shining armor to protect her, like me. Yeah. And the sad part is, I can't go to the horror house with her anymore. <laughs>